We'll get to that in a minute. Good morning, everyone. I, I uh, hope that the, the brief spring day that we had there brought life to you um, because that is exactly what it does to this earth, and I think it's meant for us too. It just kind of breathes life into you, and with the wind yesterday, it really, really um, breathes some life into you for sure. I want to tell you as we get started, before we get to that commercial, that um, today was a little hard to put together, and the reason why it was hard to put together was because, uh, actually, there's two more teachings that were supposed to be a part of this week, and uh, I put them off to next week. Hopefully, by the end of today, you'll understand why we pushed them back to next week. Now, I love those commercials. Those are old Super Bowl commercials you might remember for many, 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 many years Ago, um, and there's a whole series of them. That's just a few of them. But the reality is, have you ever been fooled in that way? Judging things, appearances just didn't actually line up to, to what you were thinking, if you will, didn't line up with the reality of it. The old expression, don't judge a book by its cover. Now, I know there's probably only half the room that ever even heard that before. So I was trying to think of what is the modern day equivalent of that? You know, like, don't judge a restaurant by its Yelp review. Um, don't ju- I, I don't know. Like, what, what, what is that? Because people don't judge books anymore because they don't read books anymore. So, so what is the, what, what's the equivalent of that? We live in a world where, I'm not joking, there are 24, there have been 24 different versions of Judge Judy. No joke. Judge Judy being the most famous spinoff from the original. Does anybody remember the name of the original courtroom reality TV show? It is the People's Court. That is correct. And I heard someone say, and the judge was who? Judge Wapner. That's right. Now, bonus points. If you can tell me the year, this will date you, the year that the People's Court was introduced to our wonderful nation. Anyone know? 81. 1981 is when the People's Court started. That's a long time ago. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Those are just the shows with the word judge in them in the first position. There's actually been 30 other different variations of some type of judge show with the same idea. And I am positive that's because we in America love our justice, right? That's why we have so many judge No, it's not. It's because we love to judge others. That's why. And in this case, we really like to watch other people be judged. There's something about it that just makes us feel better about ourselves. Is that not true? You did not watch those shows or do not watch those shows because you were hoping, you know, for that guilty verdict because justice needed. That wasn't it at all. All right, let's be honest. Today's text that we're going to study is famous for many, many, many reasons. The first reason should be because it's the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these are a command. It's a very specific commands to his followers. Just like last week's famous verses, they were revolutionary to those that heard them. These were no different. This word, last week's love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that mistreat you. None of those were suggestions. Those are all absolutely commands from Jesus. But these are in opposition to nearly every single worldly tendency that you and I have. There's a verse between last week's teachings and this week's teachings. And this very short verse, this very short message, sentence from Jesus, actually sums it all up. He simply says in verse 36, it's Luke chapter 6, verse 36 is where we'll start today. He simply said this, be merciful as your father is merciful. That sums up both of the teachings in one very short sentence. To whom are we to be merciful? There are no parameters. 
It's to everyone. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, in following these verses, both last week in, in the idea of not hating our enemies, to love them, to pray for them, to bless them. And in this week, when talking about judgment, Jesus with us shares with us very practical ways to be merciful as He is merciful. It seems as if in the society we live in, and I don't think this is anything new to just our day and age, all of us are very quickly, we have a tendency to detect a problem in someone else's life. But we have this miraculous ability to completely ignore the things that are going on in our own. It starts when we're really, really young. Oh, how we love how children tattle on one another, don't we? <laughs> Parents, teachers, is there anything better than all that tattling? And I can tell you there's one thing I hate more, and that's whining, but that's a whole other dis discussion, and that's just for me, tattling or finding that fatal flaw or error or grievous crime like, she touched me, or he took my place in line. But it doesn't stop there, oh no, no, because if you were the one that was tattled on, what did you immediately do? Your natural response was to, well, blame someone else, of course, because that's what we humans do, to find the fault or error that someone else did instead of what you had actually done wrong. That's just who we are. Now, we would never, ever, ever do that as adults, though. That's just a kid's issue, right? None of us would ever be inclined to find and condemn the faults or differences in others, would we? Surely not, especially not, oh, say at church, right? Why would we do that? What is there to gain for ourselves? Are, are we somehow superior to those that we're fighting the faults in, so we have the right to find those faults? Now, those are all what we call in the literary world rhetorical questions, meaning that they're questions for you and I to hear and you and I to answer in our own minds and then apply them as we begin Jesus' teachings today. And so what you've got to know as I begin is this. This is the reality of, of this this particular message. If you wondered, who is Jesus talking to today? Who in the room or who listening online is Jesus talking to? I will confess right off the top, he's talking to me first. Completely, absolutely, it's something that I can struggle with too. So this message may not be for you. You might get the week off. Just go ahead and check out. You're good. You'll be just fine. In fact, there's some of you that heard that. Well, man, I'm, I'm glad he struggles with that because I sure don't. If that was you... I'm just going to maybe suggest that maybe Jesus' teachings today aren't just for me. I'll leave it at that. Maybe his words are something you need to hear and take to heart as well. Now, some of you are wondering what on earth those goofy commercials have to do with anything. I think they're very applicable to the passage we're about to read. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. We'll read the whole passage first and then go back and break it apart. Do not judge. And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them a parable. Can, they blind, can the blind lead the blind? Won't they both fall into the pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. 
And then the most famous part of it at all, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank sticking out of your own? How then can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the plank from your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly, see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, all of those tie together into one teaching. The first and the last parts are usually paired together, and oftentimes they are taken completely out of context, and they're used to justify all kinds of wrongdoing and especially wrongful living. So let's look at them together, and then we'll bring in the amazing truth in the middle later on. The first part, do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given unto you. Two negative commands, don't, don't, and then do and do. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Do forgive and do give. Now, what does this all actually mean? It's a great question. Because if you have ever questioned someone's decisions or actions in this lifetime, then it is quite possible that they might have responded with something to the effect of, hey, don't judge me. Fair enough. Is that what Jesus is saying in this verse? Because this is a command of Jesus. Because it's a command of Jesus, it is essential if you're a follower of Jesus or you're seeking to discover who Jesus is, that you understand what he is telling us not to do here. So let's start with the negative. What does he not mean? What is he not telling us? All right. There's one really obvious right off the top. He is not telling us, absolutely not prohibiting the exercise of justice within the court of law. God's word actually upholds the rule of law. As a matter of fact, a lot of our laws are based on God's word. God's word even authorizes governments to exercise the law. And we, as believers, as followers of Christ, we are to uphold the rule of law for the well-being of those that do what is right and to punish those who break the law. It is an important truth, and we must understand that. Because if we don't, if we improperly apply this command, then this is what can happen. Within the justice system, within the legal system, you get a jury full of people that believe, judge not lest ye be judged. I can't judge anyone. And if this is the case, then they as jury will be useless. They'll find themselves things, saying things like, you know what, I can't judge them. I can't say anything. I mean, sure, they killed their wife, but I've done bad things too. So how could I possibly hold them accountable? I know that's an extreme example. I get that. But do you watch the news? <laughs> is this not the exact direction that our world is headed? You see, when you take the truths of Jesus apart from the love and the compassion and the reality of who Jesus is and what he fully taught, then that's what you get. One of my favorite pastors, Alistair Begg, I still love listening to him to this day. I still listen to him frequently said it this way, Jesus is not calling for his followers, that would be us, to be this strange group of people who have taken their brains out of their head and set them on the sidelines. You see, Jesus does not want us to throw out what he referred to as our critical faculties, our critical thinking skills, our common sense even. Yes, it's possible to use the word critical in a positive way way. This is the ability to discern between right and wrong, fact and fiction, truth and lies. We are not to turn a blind eye to sin. It's not true. We are not to refuse to point out an error if it's a serious error and could lead them in the wrong direction. You see, there's a difference between good and evil. 
if you didn't know that. There's a difference between right and wrong. And the proof is actually in the text that we'll study next week. In the text that we'll study next week, Jesus specifically says there's a difference between a good and a bad tree. He tells us there's a difference between a wise and a foolish builder. How on earth could you discern that if you didn't use your critical faculties? How would you, how, what is your ability to discern that difference? Aren't you judging the tree? Good fruit, bad fruit? Aren't you judging the builder, wise builder, foolish builder? Aren't you doing that? Yes. Yes, you are, and that's okay. You see, the world wants there to be no difference. No right, no wrong, or worse yet, you're right and you're wrong, where you get to choose what you believe is right and wrong. <laughs> we can't do that very well as humans. See, we need an absolute standard to go by. We need an absolute truth, and that's exactly what God gave us. His word delivers this to us. It is an example for us to follow. We don't have to rely, thankfully, on our feelings. We have a truth to follow and to guide us, a perfect north that will literally never change. It's all that we need in our life to guide us and direct us. It is a perfect GPS it never fails you. It won't send you the wrong way on a one-way street. It won't never need updated, and it will never, ever, ever lead you astray. So we're supposed to evaluate according to his standards. This command does not forbid discernment or even confronting sin. What does it forbid? Let's move on to the positive side. It does forbid a harsh, hard, critical, compassionless condemning of others. Absolutely as I was preparing this message, I came across a word I'd never heard in my entire life. It's a hard word to say and a very difficult word to, to spell. I had to look it up to make sure I spelled it correctly. Did any of you ever have a teacher in elementary school, back when we used books? So half the room's not listening. The other half, um, back when we used books, you went to your teacher, teacher, how do you spell so-and-so? And they said, go look it up. Go look on dictionary, not on your phone. Okay, not Siri, how do you spell? No, no, no. You actually had to look it up. And I always questioned that. How do I look up a word how to spell it? if I don't know how to spell it, to look it up. <laughs> Whatever. That was me as a kid. I don't know what, what you thought. Okay? The, the word that we're talking about today is a very odd word. It is a word called censoriousness. Has anyone ever heard that word before? I had not. Censoriousness. It's a fun-sounding word, but it's a very evil word, actually, uh, when you hear its definition. Here's what it means. This is the type of judgment that Jesus is condemning here. This is a spirit of self-righteous, self-promoting, hyper-critical, harsh judgmentalism. That is censoriousness. The exact opposite of the verse we started today with, be merciful, as your heavenly Father is merciful. This is the type of judgment that is used by those that refuse to examine themselves. I do no wrong. I look for everyone else. They, re they replace that with a careful examination of finding faults in other people. They'll go out of their way to sit. They'll literally sit and just watch and just wait for someone to make a mistake. They'll just wait for it to happen. This is negative. This is destructive, that type of finding faults with others. And worse yet, there's a lot of people that fall in that category that enjoy it. They take some pride in finding fault in other people. Now, obviously, that's not very merciful. So let me give you an example of this type of judgmentalism. It's a simple story. It's a story of two men who lived in a certain town. One man was incredibly rich, an incredibly powerful man, had everything in this world he could ever want, all the sheep, all the cattle that he could ever need, and more. The other man was a, a simple poor man. 
He had but one you little lamb, the story goes, that he bought. He raised it up and grew up with it and his children. He shared his very own food. He drank from his cup and the lamb even slept in his arms. The story goes that a traveler came to that rich man, and as was custom in the day, when a traveler came in, you needed to provide for them a place to sleep and a meal prepared. Well, he went to prepare that meal, but instead from getting from his own supplies, his own cattle, his own stock, he decided to go out and slaughter that little ewe lamb of the poor man, and he prepared that instead for the traveler who had come. Now, some of you might recognize that story. It comes from First or Second Samuel chapter 12. It's a story being told to King David by a prophet named Nathan. As David tells that, David has told that story, it says that he burned with anger against that man. The man who did this, David said, must surely die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David was being censorious. Uh, full extent of the word. Did the man do something wrong? Absolutely. Should he be punished? Absolutely. That's not the problem. The problem is the judgment, the condemnation of the man. You see, in doing so, David is literally demonstrating the type of judgment that Jesus commands us not to use. David is a real-life example of verses 41 and 42 that we read moments ago. David hears this story with a huge plank sticking out of his eye. In my mind, we built a deck a couple years ago. I'm envisioning the six-by-six pressure-treated post, about 12 foot long, sticking right out right here from his face as Nathan tells him this story. You see, because David had just had an affair. He'd just taken another man's wife and impregnated her. Then he killed the man, covered it all up, and pretended like nothing had ever happened. (laughs) No self-evaluation, no repentance, no introspection, just a quick snap to judgment of this story that he was being told. Absolute censoriousness. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, take that speck out of your eye, when you fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck. From your brother's eye. David pronounces judgment in that moment. And then the prophet Nathan says, Ah, Dave, uh, yeah, that guy in the story, that rich guy, the jerk, yeah, him, that's you. That's you. God is judging absolutely David in that moment. You can read the entire exchange. Go to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. You can read that this week if you wish. And there were consequences for David's sin. If you know the story of David, those consequences actually never left his life. They were still in existence when he passed away. Just like you and I, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fall short, there are consequences that we are forced to pay. But here's the thing. There's also full, absolute, complete forgiveness available to us as well. It says that David immediately repented of his sin in that moment. And you know what? David was fully forgiven in that very moment. That plank was gone in that moment. The sin, the consequences, yeah, he did. He had to wrestle with that there. It happens. You see him, you read about him wrestling through all the book of Psalms. There's so many Psalms written as David struggles with the consequences of this very sin. So was Nathan wrong? Did he sin in pointing out the sin, the flaws in David's life? No. As a matter of fact, God sent him to give David that message. See, the reality is none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So what do we need to do? How do we get that plank out of our eye? Well, we start every day 
before the throne of God. And every day when we start before the throne of God and every night before we go to bed, we go before the throne of God and we say, God, please forgive me for the things that I have done wrong. Thank him for his grace and his mercy in our lives. And by doing this, you then get what is called a pure heart, a clean heart. I'm going to read another Psalm of David's right now, Psalm 51. It's beautiful, beautiful Psalm. Let me read it to you. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. Against you, God, against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hear my, he, let me hear joy. Let me hear gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew, as the song says, a right spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13 is this huge changing point, transition. Then, then I will teach transgressors your way so that the sins, so that, that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my, our God are my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O oh God, will not despise. Now, the reason that psalm, for many reasons, is so beautiful is according to the text, this was what David wrote after Nathan confronted him. This was his response to his God whom he had sinned against. And this is how you and I should begin every single day, begging for his forgiveness. Because look what David does. He begs for forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and his joy to be restored. And then he says, after I've done that, then, then after I've asked for forgiveness and I know you forgive me, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Yeah, I'm going to have to tell them that what they're doing is wrong so that the sinners will turn back to you. God removed that plank out of David's eye and then David promises to go help others turn back to God. This is the kind of pure heart that you and I need to remove that plank from our own eye and allow us to lovingly help others see the ways of God. We are not to judge and to condemn. We are to forgive and to give. 
And Jesus tells us in this illustration why. You can't lead someone. If you're both blind, you're both going to fall into the pit. You got no chance of getting to where you need to get to. The student isn't above the teacher, but everybody who's fully trained will be like their teacher. They'll know good from bad. They'll know right from wrong, and they'll know how to lead them to the Lord. But we are not qualified to judge and to pronounce condemnation. Now, I might say, you know, something to the effect, like, you know, I don't I don't really do that. I mean, I, I might judge a little bit, but I don't condemn anyone. Eh, but do we really? <laughs> Think of the words we use sometimes. Now, we're good Christians. We, we, color, we use very colorful language to describe these things as not to sin, of course, right? What do we say with our tongue? Well, we'll disguise it. You know, we'll say like, did you hear about what so-and-so was doing? They should be so ashamed of those things. Can't imagine. Clearly, that person is on the wrong track. But you know what? We should probably pray for them, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should probably pray about that. I can't believe what's happening in our neighborhood or in our school or in our church or in our neighbor's house or whatever. I just can't believe. We should probably pray about that. No, you've got it all backwards. <laughs> you've got it completely backwards. No, what you should do when you notice something, when God points out something, you should immediately pray for that person. That's the first thing you should do. And your prayer obviously should be for God to deliver them from whatever is happening in their lives. But furthermore, your prayer should be, God, how can I go to that person and show them the love and the mercy and grace of God? <laughs> Not how can I condemn them because I'm better than they are. Because I don't want to fall into the same pit that they're falling into. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. How can I help them in their time of need? We are to be discerning. We are to use our critical senses to allow God to help us identify those in need, those in trouble, and then show them the same grace and the same mercy that he has showed us. He directs us explicitly to forgive. He actually says that multiple times throughout the Gospels. That does not mean to excuse the sin. Oh, it's okay. Just do whatever you want. No. doesn't mean to deny the sin. Oh, well, that's just what they want to do. No. It doesn't even mean forget about the sin in hopes that maybe one day it just passes away. No. No, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace, that is how we can connect those individuals with God. We demonstrate to them how he has showed us these things in our lives. So then they can see that it is now also available to them in their life. It's driven by the Spirit of God within each and every one of us. And by the way, it's not optional. It's not optional. This is a command from Jesus. Forgive and you will be forgiven. George MacDonald, old Scottish author, poet, pastor, said it this way, Every time that I refuse to forgive from the bottom of my heart, it is a cold and deliberate choice. And every time that you and I make that cold and deliberate choice, we entomb ourselves. We live within the dungeon of our own creation. We are trapped in the bondage of our own unforgiving hearts. What does that look like? That looks like a grit of the teeth when you're around that person. When you see that person doing whatever, when you think about that person, you get a headache. Your blood pressure goes up. That's hate. That's lack of forgiveness. And you are harboring yourself in that. And it can destroy you <laughs> physically as well as emotionally and potentially even spiritually. Now, as I said, all these verses are tied together. Don't judge or be critical or judgmental. And then do forgive. <laughs> and give. 
Now, if there were no evaluation, no discernment of the person, what would there be to forgive? You see, you've got to look critically at it, but it's how you handle it. If there was no assessment of a person's condition, how would you know what they need in order to give them the help that they need? We are all sinners as followers of Jesus or as a pre-follower of Jesus. Don't want to ever leave anyone out of the family. Everyone's a potential family member in the family of God. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs mercy. And when we follow Jesus' example to forgive and to give then, then he will continue to give to us. When we refuse to do those things, then we'll just be judged by the same standards that we use to judge others. Give and it will be given to you. Now, this verse is often taken out of context. And they'll say this involves offerings and tithes and those kinds of things. And it might very well apply to those as well. God is also very generous. He, he says that elsewhere. But in this particular passage, he's talking specifically about forgiving and giving to others. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Hopefully you hear that, but you don't just hear it. Hopefully you understand that. When we follow Jesus' example, he not only says, hey, great job, pat on the back. No, 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 no. He says, great job because you extended mercy, because you extended mercy. Here's a little more mercy in your life. Here's a little more forgiveness in your life. It's going to flow all over you. As a matter of fact, you're going to be a forgiven, grace-filled, merciful mess. Because it's going to be running out of you all over the place, and people can't help but notice because you can't help but share it with other people. You couldn't keep it in if you wanted to. Now, I want to ask you a very real question. What would this place look like if all of us lived out this example How would it be different? I'm going to leave that for you to ponder, but I'm going to challenge you very seriously. I know there's a worship team staying right after church to have lunch together. This is something for you to ponder in that meeting. If I individually changed my life and lived this way through the power of the Spirit within me, how would I be different? But I would challenge the rest of you. Go to lunch with somebody after church. Talk about this. How could I change? And it's only you that could change because you can't change anyone else. So how is that going to work? What if, what if I did that? What if I allowed the Spirit of God to help me live this way? How would I personally be different? How would that change change my family? How would it change my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors? How would it change the bride of Christ right here? How would we be different? What could we be doing differently? It's an incredible thought, but it should be more than a thought because this is a command of our Savior. It's a hard truth. Yes, it is. And there's another hard truth on the flip side of this, and you can call it whatever you want, but God's called me to deliver honest and the truth, his truth, not mine. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you've never acknowledged that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, which you might not understand if you're still learning about Jesus, that's okay, but he never sinned. So he alone could be the only one that could offer himself up for us, offer his life in exchange for ours so that we could be forgiven and so that we could spend eternity with him. If you've not admitted that you are a sinner, just like me, if you've not admitted that you are lost and you need Jesus, you need Jesus to forgive your sins, you need Jesus to help you through this life, if you've not done that yet, then there's a reality that awaits you. There's a judgment that absolutely awaits you. And it's not by me, and it's not by anyone looking over their shoulder in this room. 
It's a judgment by the Most High God, the creator of the universe, who happened to be your creator as well. And he created you on purpose, and he created you for a purpose, and that purpose was not to spend an eternity apart from him. It was so that you could live in the light of his glory and his grace in this life, and you could live this life to the fullest so that you could have an eternal life with him forever. He created you to be loved by him, and he created you to love him. And the question becomes, have you made that decision? Because as un-American as it might sound, you will not be allowed one day to stand before God, before his throne, and say, hey, don't judge me. (laughs) That won't happen. It can't happen. But believers, before you think we're off the hook... It's real easy to look at these passages and just cast them aside like, well, that's not me. I don't really do those things. I ask us all to evaluate, to judge ourselves, which absolutely is a good thing to do, and ask God to free us from the sin that does exist. All of us are sinners. Ask him to free us from the sin that does exist in my life. And if God, for some reason, I can't see it, help me. God, if I won't admit it, help me. (laughs) God, if I can't get rid of it, help me. I can't get this plank out of my way to help others see clearly without God removing it. And I want so desperately to help others see that path clearly. Because if they can see that they've been deceived by the evil one, and I can see that I've been deceived by the evil one, then we both can start on that path in a better direction. This is hard stuff. This, this whole passage, this whole teachings of Jesus, this is a hard section of Scripture. Easy to listen to, hard to put into practice. This could be a difference. You look at the world around us. Everyone is hyperjudgmental. Everyone is always criticizing everyone else. We should be different. And this is one of the most obvious ways which we can be different. And it's not an option. It's who we're to be in Christ. Father God, as we come before you in this moment and we consider our lives, and maybe we don't think of ourselves as judgmental, and and maybe, hey, there are definitely people in the room who aren't. There are people in this room who do have that grace and ability to extend your grace and mercy and love to others in ways that some of us only can dream of at this point. But Father, the majority of us in our room don't fit that description. Father, I could pick topics. I'm not going to. But I could pick topics that people in this room would get them riled up faster than you could imagine. Their blood would just start to boil. Their face would turn red because of that group or because of that people or because of that situation. And Father, that should not be our response. Oh, yes, we should absolutely cry out for help for those people. We should be angry when it's leading people astray, absolutely, but not angry at them angry at the evil one who's deceiving. And we should rush in with our prayers first and foremost, but then our words and our forgiveness and our mercy and our kind actions of giving to those people the truth of your word that begins to lead them away from that path of destruction and onto that path of life. And Father, we're not going to be able to do that if we're sitting around looking looking for problems, looking at what everybody else is doing wrong. We'll never be able to do that. We'll never be able to lead people in your direction. So, Father, whether they're just thoughts in our mind judging others or they're words that we speak behind their back, I pray that those words are all replaced with prayers, prayers for forgiveness in our own life, and then prayers for your mercy 
and grace and love to be shown to those people who are caught in sin. And Father, ask, we want to ask for the opportunity to share your love and grace with them. As we transition into this next portion of our worship, many in the room have things to wrestle with. Father, if those are things that need prayer by others, we, we invite them to come forward to the altar and allow us to pray over them. Father, if it's right there in their seat and it's between you and God, I, I pray that the music isn't a distraction for them the rest of this service, that instead the music draws them closer into your presence so that they can reconcile their differences with you just like David in Psalm 51. Father, we love you, and we don't deserve your grace and love and mercy, but we praise you for it. Amen.